Life is filled with difficult times, trials, and tribulations. And this week, we heard it again. And I don't think this is going to be an exception. It's going to be the rule going forward. But here's the thing. Trials and tribulations and troubles are opportunities for us to grow. They are opportunities for God to do a work in our lives. And we don't often like those times. I mean, we don't look forward to them. But God can use them to make us into what he wants us to be, his perfect creation, his masterpiece. The New Testament writer James, the brother of Jesus, said it this way. He said, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Here's one of the things that we need to learn about um, trials, troubles, and tribulations. We cannot change our circumstances. Um, Who knows what this week holds? But there are two things that we can control. Our attitude and our actions. We can control those. Can't control our circumstances, but we can control our attitude and actions. And we've been uh, going through the life of Joseph. And we're going to see Joseph going from favored son to a slave. He couldn't control that. It was really... Now, did he do some things that precipitated that a little bit? Possibly. And we do in our own lives. But here's the thing. We have circumstances. We have trials and tribulations and troubles. And we have to choose what's our attitude going to be and what are we going to do about it. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But here's the thing. We, we mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. We said before Joseph could be the leader that he needed to be, he had to uh, grow and become the leader that God wanted him to be. He, he needed to go through these difficult times. But uh, in all the trials and tribulations, uh, God was with him. And that's one thing we know for sure. Uh, and God wants to do the same thing in, in us that he did in Joseph. He wants to use those, those difficult times, those trials, those tribulations, to make us into his perfect creation. And so we're going to talk a little bit about how does he do that? What does that look like? What are some, some ways that we can grow through those things, those times? So I'd love you to turn to Genesis chapter 39. It's on page 33 in your chair Bible. And we have more chair Bibles hopefully now because we've gotten some uh, and put some in the chairs this week. So Genesis 39, verse th- page 33. When Joseph was taken, and I'm going to start reading in verse 1. When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, uh, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was a captain of the guard of the Pharaoh, uh, the king of Egypt. The Lord was with Joseph. Now, that phrase, the Lord was with Joseph, is a key phrase. You're going to hear it over and over and over in the passage that we're reading. It's very important you see that. I think I said this two weeks ago. I said, you don't see God talking directly to Joseph. But what we see is the writers telling us, even in spite of these difficult trials and troubles and tribulations, God is with Joseph. God is with him. Okay? The Lord was with Joseph so that he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar. So he soon uh, made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of the entire household and everything he owned. From the day that Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. 
All his household affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and his livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there he, there, he didn't have to worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. And the point he's making is it wasn't a matter of what, what he should eat. He had, it, everything was going so well, he just, what do I want tonight? He didn't have to worry about anything. Now it says, Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. And Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me in everything, uh, with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her, and he kept out of her way as much as possible. One day, however, no one else was around when he went in to do his work. She came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, Come, come on, and sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. When she saw that she was holding his cloak and he had fled, she called out to his servants. Soon all the men came running. Look, she said, my husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. He came into my room to rape me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream, he ran outside and he got away, but he left his cloak behind me. She kept the cloak with her until her husband came home. Then she told him her story. That Hebrew slave that you brought into our house tried to come in and fool around with me, she said. But when I screamed, he ran outside, leaving his cloak with me. Potiphar Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into prison where uh, the king's prisoners were held. And there he remained. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him favor and love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph into in charge of the other prisoners. Uh... In the prison, the warden had no worries because Joseph took care of everything. We've heard that before, haven't we? The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. So I want to make two quick observations first about the text we ran uh, ran into, uh, we we ran through. Um, Number one, growth takes time and trouble. You like the time, or maybe you don't like the time, but the trouble you don't like at all, right? Neither do I. Joseph was taken to Egypt. Here he's taken to a foreign land, and he had to learn. Uh, he's taken there as a slave. He, he fled. Uh, he, here he is in a new land. He has to learn a new, new culture, new language. Um, he went from being the top dog in his family to being a slave, to being a servant um, in a house of a foreign land. Uh, he must have thought, where's God? You know, uh, the other thing I want you to see, too, is there's a number of years that have gone on here. As we read the scripture, it seems like, well, today he's doing this. And look, he fell on his feet and he's standing up and everything's going great. And, oh, look at this happened. But this is a period, and uh, we do this often when we read through scripture, that there's been a, a number of years. There's probably been about 13 years in the passage we just read. 
probably 11 years in the house of Potiphar and two years in prison is what the text that we read covers. Now think about this. Where were you 11 years ago? Can you remember what you were doing? Well, that was a long time ago. Well, that's the point. It was a long time. So there's a period of time where this was going on. Who knows how long uh, Potiphar's wife was throwing herself at Joseph and, and, the, the, and what he was learning and how he was growing and all of the different things that were going on. So there was a track record. See, this track record didn't happen overnight. Joseph was a faithful employee, and he showed himself to be faithful to the point Potiphar trusted him with everything. And so even in the prison, he, the, the prison uh, uh, manager basically put him in charge of things because he could trust him. So there's a, there's a, a number of years going on. Um, the other thing I want you to see is that trouble... Um, let me get my notes back here. It's one of those computers, you know, how those work. Apparently I don't. Um, the, the, the other thing I want you to see, and that's why I wanted you to see how it was said Joseph, God was with Joseph. Trouble doesn't negate God's presence. Sometimes we think if we're going through trials or tribulations or trouble, that God, we've done something to anger God and he's get, taking his wrath out on us. I mean, that was Job, Job's friend's response to Job. You must have done something to tick God off. That's why you're suffering. That's why you're going through this difficult time. Well, it's certainly we know as we read through the passage there that wasn't the case. The point I want you to see is uh, God is working behind the scenes, but that doesn't mean you won't go through trouble. Okay? Uh, don't assume that when you're going through trials, troubles, or tribulations that God isn't there and he doesn't care because he does. Um, now, Joseph up to this point has good reason to become bitter, right? I mean, he is, you know, life has not gone well for him and it's not going well for him. Um, he's trying to do the right thing, even in Potiphar's house. He's trying to do the right thing. He's a good employee. He's honest. He's diligent. He's got the trust of his father, uh, his, the, the, of his boss. And, and, and in the midst of that, he's got this temptation going on. He's got his wife throwing herself at him. Um, and, and then after he gets falsely accused and gets thrown into prison, he must have thought, man, what is going on here? Um, this is what Galatians says. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. That's the one thing we see about Joseph. He never gave up. He went through these trials. He went through these tribulations, but he never gave up. He never gave up. Uh, remember Job, as I mentioned before, the, probably one of the most righteous and the wealthiest men that ever walked this earth. And it was all taken away. Even his health was gone. And finally his wife comes to him after seeing their, their sons and daughters die and losing uh, all their wealth and their cattle and their animals and, and then him losing his health. And here he's got a piece of pot, uh, a pot, and he's scraping these sores that he has all over his body and he's in absolute healthy torment. And his wife comes to him and, and she says, why don't you just curse God and die? Get it over with. Give up. And this is what Job says. Job scraped his skin with a piece of broken pottery, and he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, Are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. But Job replied, You talk like a foolish woman. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? So in all this, Job did nothing wrong. What Job says there is pretty important for us to hear because we hear another message today. And the other message is that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and if you love God, bad things won't happen to you. 
Well, we're told in the book of Job that Job loved God. Job was righteous. Job followed God. And basically, Job says, is it right for us to think that we're only going to get good from God and not bad? In other words, we live in a fallen world and bad things happen to good people. We saw that this week. We saw it last week. You know, that happens. We probably, you know, you probably know people that they would say, well, the reason I don't, I, I will never follow God, the reason I'll never give my life to Jesus is because God did this to me. Maybe he took my mother, my father, and cancer, brother or sister was killed in a car accident, and they're mad at God. And it's almost like their rejection of God is their way of teaching God a lesson. I'm not going to believe in you because of what you did. No, I'm not granting that God did anything. But the point is, that Job said and did nothing wrong. But here's the thing. He never got bitter. He never got bitter. The, the thing about Job is this. He didn't celebrate the trials and troubles and tribulations. He, he sat in a pile of ashes, but he didn't get bitter. And that's important. It says, and Job did nothing wrong. Now, just for a minute, let me take a moment and just explain what bitterness is and what it's not. Okay? Because bitterness is not sadness. Bitterness is not despair of life, where you come to a place and you're in deep despair. That's not bitterness. Bitterness is not um, uh, to be discouraged to the core of your being about what's happening to you. That's not bitterness. Okay? It's, 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 it's part of life that you'll go through times like that. Remember, Jesus was distressed to the point, it says, that he began to, to sweat drops of blood. He was so distressed. But he wasn't bitter. What is bitterness? Bitterness is choosing to hold on to pain, to revel in it, to rehearse it over and over. Bitterness is allowing yourself to be defined by it. You know bitter people. You've met bitter people. Some of you have family members, co-workers, neighbors, friends that are bitter. And bitterness, here's what it does. Bitterness shuts down the work of God in your life. When you become bitter, you've just said, God's not going to work in my life anymore. Look at what it says in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, He has identified you as His own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. And then He says this, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. So we're commanded not to grieve the Holy Spirit. How do we grieve the Holy Spirit? Become bitter. Become bitter. Have you ever found uh, bitter people to be kind, compassionate, and forgiving? (laughs) No, they're not. They're consumed with their own bitterness. All right, number two. The second thing we see is that we choose to thrive wherever we are. Choose to thrive wherever you are. Joseph made the best of his situation, whether he was in Potiphar's house or whether he was in jail. Uh, when things were going well or when he was in prison. He, he did that. He went from, get this, he went from being the beloved son to being, becoming a prisoner. Okay? Uh, here's, here's a key thing, and this is, this is maybe the biggest thing that you'll hear this weekend. 
sometimes you have to just um, change what you can and embrace what you can't. You know, because all of us are going to face situations that we don't like, that we wish would be different, but they're not going to change anytime soon. Let me give you a couple of examples. Maybe you're here and you're, you know, uh, you know somebody, a friend or a neighbor or somebody, and, and you know, maybe it's you, <laughs> but you're in a marriage that you just don't like. It's not going well. It's, and, and it doesn't fulfill all your needs. And sometimes people say, well, my problem is my partner. And if I can just change my partner or get my partner changed or change my partner, get a different partner, then my problems will go away. And here's what, here's what you're going to find. The next person you marry, marry will not fulfill all your needs. Why? Because <laughs> you're a needy person. <laughs> we all are. That's the point. We're all needy people. And because only God can fill your every need. And what you're asking that person to do, they can't or they won't or they don't know how to, whatever it is. Let me give you another one. Maybe you're in a job that's a real grind. But you, you say, I don't like my job and I don't like my boss and I don't like my coworkers. And, you, and, I, and I were to say, you, well, then why don't you look for another job? Well, I can't. There are no other jobs. I already looked. This is the only job I have. Well, here's the thing. You can become bitter about it. You can be angry about it. You can just complain about it and curse, curse you know, God about it, whatever you want to do about it. But here's the point. For right now, that's the best job that you can get, the best job that you can have. Did you ever think about that? That's the best. If you can't find anything better, that's the best you can get. So what are you going to do about that? As I began this, I said, you can do two things about any of your circumstances. You could change your attitude. You could change your actions. Those are the two things you can You can't control your job. You can't control your your, your spouse, you can't do that. But you can control how you're going to respond to it. You, you see, right now, you can do that. Uh, why not make the best situation you can of where you are, whether it's in your marriage? And these are only two examples. Um, that's a lot better than becoming bitter. Choose to make your relationships, your job, better, uh, the best that it can be. Do what you can. By the way, isn't that exactly what Daniel and his friends did in Babylon? Did they have control over their circumstances? No, they were taken as slaves. <laughs> and they were, they were forced to learn the Babylonian doctrine, dogma, right? And they became experts in it. But there was a point where they said, you know, there's no reason for us to get bitter. We may never go home again. We may never see our homeland again. This is a circumstance. We can't change our circumstances, but here's what we can do. We can make the place better around us, and we can change our attitude, make our attitude be a good attitude. Look at what Corinthians says. Paul says this. Yes, each of you should remain as you were when God called you. Are you not a slave? Don't let that worry you. But if you can get a chance to be free, take it. And remember, if you were a slave when the Lord called you, you are now free in, you are now free in the Lord. And if you were free when the Lord called you, you are now a slave of Christ. God paid a high price for you, so don't get it, be enslaved by the world. Each of you, dear brothers and sisters, should remain as you were uh, when God first called you. In other words, he's saying, you know what, here's the deal. You have certain circumstances, and you have to decide what's my attitude going to be and what are my actions going to be. 
Someone has well said, and I think it's, uh, it can be trite, but I think it fits. The bloom where you're planted. I mean, the people around you are probably getting tired of hearing you complain about the same old thing over and over and over. Well, you can't, if you can't change it, then, then change your attitude about it. Here's the third thing that we see, and, and this is certainly brought out in, in the life of Joseph. Glorify God, exceed everyone's expectations. What would happen... What would happen in our marriages? What would happen in our workplaces? What would happen in our schools, in our neighborhoods, in our community? If we began to do exceptionally above what was expected by our our spouses, by our parents, by our kids, by our... uh, I mean, we just did exceptionally more than what, what was expected. That we demonstrate to the world the power and the beauty of the gospel. Now, any good business will say, any good business model says, exceed your customers' expectations, right? Isn't that what good companies do? We don't want to just, we don't want you to just be happy with, your, with what we're doing. We want to exceed your expectations. We want you to say, wow, that's more than I expected. That was, that was above and beyond what my expectations were. Notice what it says in Colossians. Whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks through him to the Father, to God the Father. So essentially what I'm hearing the Bible say is Christians ought to exceed expectations. It's built into our DNA as a follower of Jesus Christ, as sons and daughters of our Father. That we ought to exceed the expectations of our friends and our neighbors, our co-workers, our bosses. We should be the best that we could possibly be. That, that's what we're called to be. Here's what I found. When I make a, an attempt to make things better at home, when I make things uh, attempt to make things better at work, when I think make things uh, to attempt to make things better in my neighborhood and in my community, you know what ends up happening? Things get better for me. Everything gets better, and you know that's what you see in the life of Daniel. <laughs> the people all around him are going, "Man, life's better when you're around Daniel." You know, and Joseph, look at around him. Everything he touched turned to gold. I mean, he was just, whether he was in prison, didn't matter what his circumstances were. That's the point. It wasn't about his circumstances. Interesting proverb. Notice Proverbs 27, 18. As workers who tend the fig tree allow, are allowed to eat the fruit, so workers who protect their employees' interests will be rewarded. In other words, you take care of your boss, and it will probably have good ramifications for you. As Christians, we're called to exceed expectations in all areas of our lives. Now, some of you are saying, you know, that sounds really good. I think we should do that. I think that's what I should do, and I think that's important. Um, and you say, I'm going one of to. One, one of these days, I'm going to. In other words, you say, you know, I want to be generous because I know my Father in Heaven is generous. So someday, when I have more, I'm going to be generous. Do you know that generosity has nothing to do with what you have? It has everything to do with what you do with what you already have. Remember the widow's mite? wasn't how much she had. Jesus said, wow, did you see that? And they go, no, not really. She just threw a couple coins in. What's all, what's all the hubbub about? She gave all she had. It's not how much you have. It's what you do with what you have. See, if you, if you say one day when I have, I'll be generous, 
you'll never be generous. Or you say, you know what, one day I'm going to speak more about Jesus. I'm going to let more and more people know I'm going to have more of an... You know what, if you're not doing it now, you won't be later on. Don't wait till tomorrow. Be excellent for Jesus now. Exceed expectations now. Today, not tomorrow. No matter what your circumstances might be. Don't allow your circumstances to dictate whether you are or not going to be to exceed expectations. Or you're, you're going to allow it to, change, to, to be, uh, cause you to become bitter. Your circumstances don't control you. They don't. You control your circumstances. You you control your actions and your attitude in your circumstances. Number four, don't take a day off. Choose to do the right thing. Do the right thing even if it doesn't work out for you. Some of us say, well, I'll do the right thing as long as it works out for me. Well, there's many times it isn't going to work out for you if you do. In fact, sometimes when you do the right things, it's absolutely not going to work out well for you. Remember... (laughs) Potiphar's wife comes at Joseph and she says, come sleep with me. It's very literal and it's very crass. What she, what, and she didn't just do it once. And Joseph was really wise because he knew she was a problem. So he kind of avoided her. He was very careful at trying to avoid her. But you talk about sexual harassment at work. Man, it, there it is. So how do you beat temptation? How did, well, how did Joseph do it? He ran. I think it's interesting, and I didn't really think about it until I was reading through the past. Interesting how much clothing with Joseph gets caught up with different things, right? The coat of many colors, now he's got a robe that's ripped off, and, you know, and it's, there's a lot going on there. I don't know what the symbolism there, but there's something going on there. But what happened was Joseph fled, he ran. The Bible tells us to flee temptation. We're not to get close to it. We're not to linger. We're not to uh, linger by it. We're not to play around with it. We're to flee. What do we generally do with temptation? We hang around. Notice what uh, 1 Corinthians 6.18 says. Run from sexual sin. No other sin is so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Temptation is like a lure. When you go fishing, the power isn't in the lure, at least not yet. I haven't seen lures go and just see a fish and grab a fish, right? They just sit there, right? You know, and I know they, you pull them through the water, but they, they don't really do anything. They're not, you know, they just kind of are there. They, uh, they, they don't have power within themselves, Right? They, they, but see, here's the thing. The fish basically will grab the lure. The fish sees it, it wants it, and it grabs it. Now, the power, again, is not in the lure. The power is in the desire of the fish. How many times have you basically condemned the lure and said, well, it's not my fault, fill in the blank? Well, yeah, it is your fault because <laughs> you control your attitude and your choices right that's that's the point it doesn't matter whether you're being tempted you control you're not out of control you have control over those things and here's the here's the other thing there's an enemy out there if you're a follower of jesus christ who knows exactly what lure works for you i've known nothing about fishing virtually nothing my uncle and uh my father were were fished and were very good at it and they, they could tell you what lure to use if you knew, wanted to know what kind of fish to catch. 
The enemy knows your lure. And everybody's lure is a little different. Some of you say, well, I don't have any problem. Pastor, I don't have any problem with, with sexual sin. I am, that's absolutely not even on my radar. All right. How about uh, materialism? That on your, is that on your radar? Well, yeah. <laughs> do you bite? Yeah, do. Um, and here's what we tend to do. We, we, when we think of temptation and trials, we often do it backwards. And, and here's what I mean. We try to stand up against temptation, right? And we want to flee from trials. We, we want to stand up and say, I'll, I'll stand up. I'm going to stand in the, in the midst of this temptation and I'm not going to give in. And then you bite the lure and you're, you're dead, right? And then we say, but I'm going to flee my trials. I don't want trials. Instead, what we should do is exactly the opposite. We should flee temptation and we should stand up in the midst of trials. Notice what Timothy says, uh, Paul says to Timothy, he says, Run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call upon the Lord with with, uh, pure hearts. Temptation can be lust, it can be materialist, it can be many other things, there's different lures. Uh, the more you want it, the more you focus on it, and you begin to be consumed about it. You, you say, I must have it, I must have it. That's what was going on with Potiphar's wife, with Joseph. I must have him, I must have him, I must have him. It could be, I must have this, uh, you know, materialism, whatever it is. But until you're hooked, then it's too late. You're hooked and you're caught. The Bible tells us to flee temptation, but trials are different. Sometimes we're called to stand firm, to stand up, to fight back, to hold our ground. We need to stand up in trials. Uh, James 4, 7 says, humble yourselves before God, try, uh, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So there are sometimes that we need to stand up and we need to put on the shield and we need to hold our ground. Again, as I said, doing the right thing sometimes may lead to more problems. Peter talks about this in 1 Peter chapter 4. This is on page 936. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. So be happy when you are insulted for being a Christian, for then the glorious Spirit of God rests upon you. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying to other people's affairs. But it is, not, it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by His name. In other words, Peter says, sometimes you do dumb things and you're suffering because of dumb things you've done. Well, that's not what I'm talking about. He's saying there are times where you're just going to suffer because you love Christ and you're trying to live a moral life in an immoral world. Rejoice. You're standing your ground against the trial. That's what you should do. The point is winners don't always get, don't always get their rewards in this life. Doing the right thing is a real part of the battle. But remember, it's God who determines the outcome. I, you know, we pray this. Uh, here's the thing. There's this, this balance in Scripture where God is working behind the scenes, and he is in Joseph's life, but we still have to do the right thing too. We have to do our part. Joseph did his part. How can I sin against God, right? He runs. So he's doing the right thing. He's, he's growing. God's developing him. But things still aren't working out. But it says all through that passage, God was with Joseph. 
This is what the writer of Scripture, Proverbs, says. No human wisdom or understanding or plan can stand against the Lord. The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but victory belongs to the Lord. So you say, what was going on here? Well, God is doing something in Joseph's life so that he can save his, save Joseph, save his family, save the nation, save the world. But Joseph has to do his part. He has to prepare the horse. And the way he prepares the horse is he flees when there's sexual temptation. And he does a good job and he lives a moral life. See, Joseph did... People say, well, I want to do something great for God. I want to do something magnificent for God. And whenever somebody says that, I say, well, would you be all right doing something really small, mundane, ordinary for God? Because many times they don't want to do that. They want to do the flashy things. They want to heal somebody. They want to do this or they want to do that. You know what Joseph did? For 13 years, he got up and he did the same thing every day. What did he do? He controlled his attitude. He controlled his actions. He did the right thing. Probably not every day, but generally speaking, he did the right day. He honored God with his life. And it didn't matter what his circumstances were. The circumstances didn't dictate his life and we we have to stop as christians blaming our circumstances blaming the people around us and saying it's their fault that i'm struggling right now that i'm going through this it's not their fault it's your it's your decision to determine how are you going to respond to these circumstances what's your attitude going to be what choices are you going to make You can't control the circumstances, but you can control your attitude and your actions. That's what you can control. If you allow yourself to become bitter, if you fall into temptation over and over and over, we got a problem. And we wonder why doesn't why don't the why doesn't the world flock to Christianity if it has the the only true message of hope? Because many people have never seen that hope. They've never seen that in a friend that they would say is a follower of Jesus Christ. They've never seen somebody make a choice that will not work out for them. They've never seen somebody who goes through difficult circumstances and they're not stupid about it, but they say, I am just beyond, I don't understand why this is happening, but you know what? I'm not going to get bitter about it and I'm going to allow God to work and I'm going to get up and I'm going to do the right thing today. I'm going to love God. If I'm married, I'm going to love my wife. I'm going to love my husband. If I have kids, I'm going to love my kids. And I'm going to go into work and I'm going to exceed expectations at work. For a boss that may not deserve it. For a company that may not deserve it. Why? Because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and that's what we do. We shine where there's darkness. And then the world says, don't get why you're putting all that effort in. Your boss may say that. You say, well, I'm not doing it for you. I'm doing it for him. And then maybe the conversation will begin because that's where it begins. What we learned from Joseph is circumstances, we can't control the trials and troubles and tribulations that we're going to go through. But we can control our decision 
and we can control our, our attitudes. We can do that. May God help us to do that because we need Christians that are going to be lights in the darkness. The world's not getting any brighter. It's getting darker and darker and darker. And as the world gets darker, as we shine and we live, live as lights, we ought to be brighter and brighter and brighter. Amen? Stand with me. Let's pray. Father, we talked about a lot today. And I don't know where your Holy Spirit is going to take some of the points that we've talked about, some of the passages we've looked at. But I thank you that uh, the one truth that we know is, in spite of all the circumstances that Joseph went through, over and over and over we're told in the text, you were with him. And you're with us. Father, I don't know what the circumstances that folks in this room have going on right now. But I do know this. If they love you, you are with them. And you are not just with them. You have a plan and a purpose that you can override their circumstances. That you can use them to change them to become what you desire them to be. Just like you did with Joseph. Joseph had to be changed to become the leader that you needed him to be. And he was being changed. Day by day, little by little, he became the leader that we look back on and are just amazed by. Father, there may be some here that are bitter. They're angry. They've been given some really difficult circumstances and they're 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 maybe they felt feel like they've been dealt a bad hand and they're angry they're bitter and they don't realize that they have shut off they have shut you out i pray that your spirit would invade their lives and help them to change their attitude and to remove the bitterness so that you can begin to do a work of healing and hope in their hearts Take something from this message, Father, and speak to our hearts individually so that we will be different people because we have interacted with your word. And, Father, thank you for Jesus who gives us hope, not because we deserve it, not because we've earned it, not because we're good, but because he chose to come and give his life a ransom for sinners like me and everyone else in this room. I don't know why, I don't understand it, but I thank you for grace. We thank you for all that you do and all you're going to do in our lives. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.